Your Majesty, I must have a word with you. Ah, <laughs> ah the Captain Money. <laughs> Jim... Don't correct me. What is it? Of course, Your Majesty. I've come on the most urgent of business. It is said that the people are revolting. You said it. They stink on ice. No, Your Majesty, this is a very serious problem. The peasants feel you have no regard for them. What? I have no regard for the peasants. They are my people. I am their sovereign. I love them. Go! Drifting to the left. Mm. It's good to be the king. Well, I think they should attack the lower classes. Uh, first with bombs and rockets, destroying their homes, and then when they run helpless into the streets, uh, mowing them down with machine guns. Um, and then, of course, uh, releasing the vultures. I know these views aren't popular, but I have never thought in popularity. As far as I'm concerned, all of this airport security, the questions, the cameras, the screenings, the searches, it's just one more way of reducing your liberty and reminding you that they can fuck with you anytime they want, as long as you're willing to put up with it, which means, of course, anytime they want, because that's the way Americans are now. They're always willing to trade away a little of their freedom in exchange for the feeling, the illusion of security. What we have now is a completely neurotic population obsessed with security and safety and crime and drugs and cleanliness and hygiene and germs. There's another thing, the fear of germs. Where did this sudden fear of germs come from in this country? Have you noticed this? The media constantly doing stories about all the latest infections. Salmonella, E. coli, hantavirus, bird flu. Now they have West Nile fever. And Americans panic easily. So now everybody's running around scrubbing this and spraying that and overcooking their food and repeatedly washing their hands, trying to avoid all contact with germs. It's ridiculous. And it goes to ridiculous lengths in prisons and this is true in prisons before they give you a lethal injection they swab your arm with alcohol it's true well they don't want you to get an infection that was in order Mel Brooks Monty Python and of course the late great George Carlin those guys were all from a time when people cared more about economic inequality and when people perhaps cared more about each other than they do today. And that's because there was less economic inequality back in those days. And when, when those particular comedians were popular and the powers that be have done a wonderful job of brainwashing all of us to not care about each other. We're worried about taxing the rich, not wanting to tax the rich, but we're okay with poor people paying high taxes. We're okay with people with student loan debt, not being able to declare bankruptcy on their student loans, but we're okay with Donald Trump, who's a multimillionaire declaring bankruptcy several times. That's fine. That's fine. Because we believe that rich people are superior to poor people. Most of us Americans do believe that. And that is our biggest problem right now. Well, there are a few of us in America who desire a more profitable type of government. When you think about it, the competence of totalitarian nations is much higher than ours. They get things done. They get things done. They get 
They get things done. The competence of totalitarian nations. Totalitarian nations. Totalitarian nations. You know, I was thinking about something interesting. I was thinking about the Great Reset that a lot of people are talking about coming from Davos, from the World Economic Forum. And essentially, the World Economic Forum, of course, is funded by big business. It's, it's big businesses and what they want to do to us, which is to create a system in which we own nothing, but we rent everything and we're still happy. And we essentially have no freedom. <laughs> but they want to distract us with virtual reality so that uh, they think we won't notice how miserable we, we actually are deep down inside. Anyway, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how, you know what, they've already done that. They've already created that kind of a system. It's just that a lot of people haven't noticed. I mean, look, for, for many years now, it has been true, and you can look this up yourself. Don't just believe me. Look it up yourself, and you will find that half of Americans earn $30,000 or less per year, and this has been true for years and years and years. Half of Americans, half of our population, earn $30,000 or less. It's been very difficult to earn a living, increasingly difficult. So if you're lucky enough to earn more than $30,000 a year, great, good for you. But stop and think about the fact that half, half of our population earns 30000 or less a year. And most of us who are in that income bracket, we are renting everything. We don't own anything. And we're constantly being told we should be happy. What's wrong with you? Money can't buy happiness. You should be happy. Renting everything. Borrowing everything. Buying things used secondhand and hoping that they last long enough so that you can, can get what you need from them. This is the way things have been for, for many, many years. And any time some of us criticize that and say, you know, we need to do something about this economic inequality because we've got people like Bill Gates, who's a billionaire, has too much money. I guarantee you, he probably doesn't even know where a lot of his money is. He probably owns homes and buildings and doesn't even know half of what he owns because he's so rich he's got people he hires to manage his money for him i'm sure and this is mon not money that benefits him in any way if he lost half of his money he probably wouldn't even notice you know so it's just not natural it's not healthy for someone to have too much money it's like spoiling a child you know you think you're doing something good by letting your child do anything they want you know, and they throw a temper tantrum. And as soon as they throw a temper tantrum, you give them whatever they want. When you think you're benefiting that child, that child's going to go through life thinking everybody's going to just give them what they want. And they're not going to know how to work for what they want, how to endure struggles and difficulties. And often that can lead some people to abusing alcohol and drugs because they can't handle difficulties in life. They have trouble withstanding hardships and difficulties and just plugging through. And, and, and keeping yourself going in spite of everything that's going wrong. And there's something to be said for learning that skill of persistence and, and hard work. And guess what? Most of the, hard, the hardest working people in this world are the poor. Poor people do most of the hard work that gets done, and yet we're told 
we're taught to think if somebody's poor, they're lazy and they don't want to work. You know, this person's a bum. Really? How do you know that person is a bum? <laughs> to be honest, I think people like Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab's, uh, Schwab, I think those people are bums. <laughs> I think they're the ones who are lazy and they don't want to work. They want slave labor. They want other people to do work for them. And another thing is when we talk about raising the minimum wage, the, the federal minimum wage is still seven something an hour right now. <laughs> it's a little over $7 an hour, which is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. But when you talk about raising the minimum wage, what you get is business ca businesses can't afford to pay that. It, that's a lie too. That's a lie. Are you telling me that some millionaire or billionaire cannot afford to pay 15 or $20 an hour to their employees? It's a lie. It's a lie. When they say they can't afford to pay their employees $15, $20 an hour, essentially what they're saying is they want a bigger profit. They don't want to lose the profit. You know, so instead of making $10 million a year, maybe they'll only make $1 million a year, for example. Um, maybe their profit will be a little bit less, but they'll still be making a profit. It's a matter of how much of your profit you want to share with your employees. If I run a small business and every day I make um, $1,000 in profit, that's pretty good, right? $1,000 in profit and I need to hire people, I could just uh, pay my employees. I have two employees and just pay them $100 a day. Okay, so then I'm only making, so I'm, I'm, I'm paying them out of the, the profit, let's say, to make the math easy. So I'm paying $200 a day. So then I'm only making $800 in profit. And if I decide to, to, to pay them each $200, then that's $400 a day, right? So that only leaves me $600 a day in profit. You see what I mean? It's a difference between my making $600 a day as opposed to $800 a day just as an example. And, that, and that's how it works. So what we're dealing with now are people who are so greedy that they've got to make these huge profits and they do not want to share their profits with their employees. That's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with employers who can't afford to pay their employees. Even small business people, even people who run small shops, you know, are, if they can afford, if, if business is doing well, to a point where they need to hire people, they can afford to pay their employees a decent living wage. And I, I've known people like this who are small-time business people who, who made a point of paying their employees a decent wage because they know that they'll attract better employees. And I've also seen people not pay their employees well and not treat their employees well, treat their employees very badly. And literally, and I'm no exaggeration, every single week, they're hiring new people. Every week they have to <laughs> set up training to hire new people. And that's costly. That costs money. And that's time consuming. And that, you know, what's the point in that? Why not treat your employees really well so they enjoy coming to work? They're happy to come to work every day. They don't quit on you. Attract better quality employees because you pay them well. You provide them with benefits. That saves your company money because then you're not having to constantly hire new people and train new people. Oh, I can't find good employees. It's really hard. Well, it can be hard. Uh, you know, I, I agree. It can be, depending on where you are, it can be difficult. But I'm just telling you, you, you know, you can find good people 
if you have a good job to offer. You know, if, if this is, a, if it's a terrible, I mean, I've had jobs that were so awful, really, just, it was just horrible to have to go to work every day. Seriously, treating your employees well is important. Employee morale, and a lot of companies have lost their ability to see that. They're so focused on making money for themselves and really just thinking about themselves. And I really do think we need to think about each other and care about each other more. Not in the way that the World Economic Forum is claiming they want us to do, because they don't care about, they don't want us to care about each other, actually. They just want to take away all of our civil liberties and control us and manipulate us and play games with our mind. <laughs> That's a different thing. I'm talking about us, we, the people in our community, need to get together and start working together again and and this is a way to do it you know if you have employees think about showing them some appreciation maybe even have an employee appreciation day or have parties now and then for your employees or you know give them breaks throughout the day if if somebody's a good employee maybe give them the bonus give them a raise pay them a little more there are things like that 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 can be done that will cause you to when you do get a good employee keep that employee on. I mean, I understand there's always this, I don't know, this conflict, employee versus employer versus customer. And and, and I've, I've gone to businesses where the customers are treated well, but the employees are treated badly. So the employees are scared to death. If they say something you don't like, you can complain about them as a customer and get them into trouble. Customer is king. Well, okay, that's great. But then I've, I've also been to places where they treat the customers very badly, but they treat their employees really well. So it's kind of like the employees can be rude to you and obnoxious and not do what they're supposed to be doing. And they don't seem to get into any trouble. Uh, but then you, the customer, are not treated very well. And the employer probably is, is not very happy either. And, and who knows? But um, so there, there's always that... that um, I don't know, that rivalry, you know, employer versus employee versus customer, you know, and and it can be difficult to, to balance out the needs of all three of those entities, right? Um, The, the employer needs to earn, to make a certain amount of profit, right? But they don't need to make huge, ginormous profits either. You know, it's not necessary to be a billionaire or a multimillionaire. If, if you're going to do that by treating your employees badly and paying them minimum wage, or less, you know, and treating them like servants, you know, then you're not a very nice person, I'm sorry to say. And uh, I'm not sure that you're even going to be very happy with all that money. You're probably the kind of person who's never happy no matter what. So that's not healthy. (laughs) It's not healthy. It's not productive. But I think that there's a way for an employer to make a decent living, to, to make good profits, and while also elevating the status of their employees, treating their employees well, making their employees happy so they're, 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 they're satisfied with their work and they want to stay on with the company and they want to promote the company and encourage others to shop in that store or, or with that business and their customers are happy. You know, there's a way, I think, to create a situation where people are supportive of each other again and we're valuing our humanity and valuing, valuing each other. And, and getting rid of this greed is good mentality. I don't believe greed is good. I don't believe greed and selfishness are good. Okay? There. I've said it. <laughs> I've said it! So we have places like Rent-A-Center. And, you know, and they make money because people are renting. They can't afford to own. 
in my own neighborhood, the, the neighborhood I grew up in when I was a kid, it was mostly homeowners when I was a kid. Now it's mostly renters. People cannot afford to own homes. And not only that, but in some of the houses, there are a lot of renters. You know, they're even renting the garage out to people. And people are living, renting out space in garages to live. There's people living in little rooms, in tiny rooms in people's houses. So we've been a nation of renters for a long time. And then there are the check cashing places, right? They, if there are people who cannot afford a bank account or a checking account and are paying money to cash their paychecks. And we don't think about those people, do we? We don't think about the people who you know, can't afford a bank account because a lot of banks are requiring you to have at least a few hundred dollars in your account or they're going to charge a fee on you every month. You know, and people just keep going along with this stuff and no one seems to question it. Why am I paying a fee? You know, they're using my money for investments. You know, I'm investing money in their bank. Why should they charge me a fee? No, people just keep going along with this stuff. It, it really just amazes me and it boggles my mind. And I really think a big part of what we're dealing with right now is our lack of concern, our apathy, our reluctance to address the real problem of economic inequality and growing poverty that we have been experiencing here in the United States. We ignored that. We ignored that. But injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And when we ignore how unjustly and unfairly and how wrongly people are treated in other places, we do that to our own detriment. And that's why when I hear about Canada setting up concentration camps and forcing people to stay in these camps because supposedly they're quarantining, the term quarantine refers to putting sick people not healthy people in a separate place so that healthy people don't get sick. I mean, it's ridiculous, a, t a total misuse of the term quarantine. But I know that it can happen here in the United States if it's happening somewhere else. We, need, we do need to start being concerned about each other and the greater good and not just ourselves. Again, a healthy balance between individualism, thinking about ourselves as individuals, and thinking about what's right for people around us is what, what I believe that, that we need. And so, you know, we also have people who cannot afford a car, for example. So those people need to take public transportation. They're, again, in a sense, they're renting, in, in a sense. You know, um, lack of ownership of their own vehicle makes them vulnerable, and they're told they have to wear a mask on the bus or on the train. And I know of some people who are not traveling, not going around, getting around because of it, because they don't want to wear a mask or can't tolerate a mask. So this can expand to include all of us, the so-called Great Reset. It's just an expansion of something that's already been occurring in this country. And we haven't been manufacturing things either, right? We've been outsourcing to countries like China. And why? Again, because of the greed. Slave labor. Oh, there's slave laborers over there. People, you don't have to pay much. You know, so what if I'm betraying my country? So what if I'm betraying my people? So what? I don't have integrity. Yes, I do have integrity. I have integrity. And I think you should too. Because when we have integrity and we care about each other and we have higher goals outside of just our own selfish needs, it creates a better world for all of us. It really does. 
Do we want to live in a world filled with psychopaths who only care about themselves? I get, maybe there's some people who want that. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to think that there are, well, that there are some non-wealthy people who, who think that that's a good idea. Uh, I'm here to tell you that right now, psychopaths make up a tiny minority. They are not the majority of people. But the psychopaths who are and narcissists who are in positions of power, they are turning attempting to turn the rest of us into psychopaths and narcissists. They want us to be like them. And that's why they're pointing the temperature scanners at your pineal gland. At least that's what they do here in New York State, which is why I'm out of work for the most part. And would love it if you'd buy my book, Diary of a Mad Bag Lady, and give it a good review because I could use the $4, <laughs> which is the profit I make from each book. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, they're pointing those temperature scanners at people's pineal glands. And they've been convincing us for years now, long before coronavirus, that we should judge each other, pass judgment on each other. Now let's talk about the uh, virtual reality aspect of this so-called great reset. It really should be the great for billionaires reset. <laughs> the great for rich people, super rich, uber rich people reset. Because this isn't even about the rich versus the poor. This is about the super rich or the uber rich, which we've created, we've allowed in our society. You know, we have not been taxing the rich. We've been allowing a lot of loopholes in the tax system for the rich. And it amazes me that um, we still have partisan politics at play here. And I still meet people who they're very partisan, they're very addicted to conservative Republican values. And because of their addiction to that partisan politics, they will not hear this. You know, and I've tried explaining to, to certain people that the tax system is written so that extremely wealthy people don't have to pay taxes, but the rest of us do. And he argued with me on that. That's not true. That's not true. There's all kinds of loopholes you can take advantage of. Yeah, there are all kinds of loopholes I could take advantage of if I were very wealthy. But, you know, with my unemployment, you know, like a lot of people, I lost three jobs. Three. Three jobs due to our king, our great emperor, King <laughs> Cuomo, King Cuomo, his mandates. And I got unemployment as a result. The unemployment paid better than my job did, which really should sound an alarm for people, you know, where, again, people should, you know, you'd think people would wake up and realize, my gosh, jobs should pay better than unemployment benefits. Why, why aren't jobs paying better? But no, instead, you know, there's been the people, you know, complaining, all oh, those people getting on all, all that money for... So you don't want us to get money? You want us all to end up homeless? I, I don't know. <laughs> the way that some, I don't know. I just, obviously, I this is not the way I think. I am a humane person. A compa I, I like to be compassionate. And I think that being kind and compassionate to each other creates a better world for all of us, really. That's, that's my viewpoint. Um, not everyone agrees, clearly. But, but in any case, here it is. Um, many of us got unemployment, and now we're expected to pay taxes on our unemployment. There's no loophole, you know. <laughs> There's no loophole. Meanwhile, so some of us were unemployed. We lost our jobs, lost our livelihood due to these unconstitutional mandates, lockdowns, mandatory mask wearing, uh, temperature scanners that violate your privacy, all these things. <laughs> these these horrible things that have been happening around the world and we lose our jobs 
we get unemployment and now we're expected to pay taxes on the unemployment benefits. Meanwhile, a billionaire like Bill Gates probably doesn't pay any taxes at all. And not only that, but there are so many loopholes for extremely wealthy people that a lot of multimillionaires and billionaires get money back from the IRS. That's why the IRS gives them money. And this has been pointed out over a period of the past few years. And actually, Bernie Sanders was one who really pointed this out to people that the extremely wealthy don't pay taxes quite often and they get tax breaks and they end up with either with, you know, paying, having to owe less money in taxes than poor people do if they pay any money in taxes at all, which most of them don't. They know there, there's lots of loopholes available to them and they can hire accountants if they don't know what those loopholes are, are and their accountants can figure it out for them and get them the tax breaks that they need. So again, that's all part of the Great Reset and that's been going on for many, many years too. Making it hard for people to get decent paying jobs, not raising the minimum wage, keeping salaries low, while cost of living goes up, and convincing people to want that, convincing people that that's good. It's good that there's no minimum wage. We don't want to put any regulation over business. Oh my goodness, because they're the job creators, but they're not. They're the job eliminators. Businesses do everything they can to hire the fewest number of people they can get away with hiring. And if they can use machines, Instead of people, they will, and they do. When you go to the supermarket, if you use that automatic checkout, instead of interacting with a cashier, you're putting somebody out of work. You're putting someone out of work. Instead of having to hire five cashiers, they've only got one cashier because you've decided you're going to do use that automatic checkout. Wow. Talk about self-responsibility, people. This is one thing that we can do is refuse to use that automatic checkout. All right. Sorry, I went off, off track again tonight <laughs> off on a little tangent. So I was going to talk about the virtual reality aspect. So for, for decades now, people have been obsessed with watching TV, right? Um, I know people who have a TV set blaring 24 hours a day, pretty much. And I, and I know this for a fact because these are, these are people who I do know. I interact with a lot. If you walk into their house, there's a TV set blaring, you know, um, all the time. Uh, I see it when, when I'm outside. Um, when, when it gets dark out, I can see the TV sets blaring in people's houses. So, you know, people are, are addicted to their TV screens and they're buying these huge massive widescreen smart televisions I don't have one of those I don't need it <laughs> you know it, it really does not interest me at all at all but it's amazing how addicted people are to their devices and if they're not sitting there staring at a tv set they're staring at their smartphone or they're playing video games right and all of that takes people into a virtual reality and people are are increasingly moving away from social contact, direct physical contact with each other. You know, as, as we've talked about in a previous podcast, here in the United States and in and probably most Western countries, we it, we associate intimacy with with sex, right? Um, we have a hard time being intimate or being close with people without without it being sexual. 
basically. In some parts of the world, people walk hand in hand. They kiss each other on the cheek. They um, put their arms around each other. And there's no, and it's completely platonic. There's no sexual activity involved. It's completely platonic. People are simply more intimate with each other. And there have been studies done on this. You know, Americans and the British are some of the least friendly people in the world in terms of, of intimacy. We've been socially distancing for decades. We've been socially distancing. And the increase in technology has a lot to do with it. It's just so much easier to stay home and sit there and stare at your TV set or stare at your computer or stare at your smartphone, you know, and, um, and interact with a device. Because that device isn't going to argue with you, too. When you interact with a person, it takes a lot more energy, a lot of emotional energy and intellectual energy. And they've done studies and found that with elderly people, they're more likely to maintain their cognitive ability if they interact with other people regularly. A lot of elderly people are lonely because our society casts them aside. So we've been engaging in virtual reality. We've been doing this for many, many years. And I think it's especially true with video games. You know, with a video game, a person is really uh, taken into a, another world and you're using it's your, your ability to see, right? Your sight, your hearing, your oral sense, and also your tactile sense, your, your, your physical sense of touch because you're touching, you know, the mouse or, you know, the computer in some way. And, and you maybe even physically acting out the character that you're playing in that video game. So that means three senses involved. Um, whereas when you watch television, you're using two senses, right? Um, your ability, your, your sight and your, your hearing ability. So increasingly, we have been engaging in this virtual reality. And I believe that that's by design. I think that this has all been part of the social distancing. It's just that it's been amped up due to COVID, they have found an opportunity, just like they did after 9-11, they found an opportunity to amp up the surveillance state. But make no mistake about it, this is something that they, you know, they're, they're looking for opportunities all the time to, to lock us down, to keep us from loving each other, to keep us socially distancing. Now, I had an interesting experience yesterday where I was out and about getting my exercise routine in and uh, went to a park that I hadn't been to before and saw that they had a sign up saying that um, you need to, in a public park outside, maintain six feet distance from other people. No public gatherings allowed in this park. Our right to peaceably assemble does not exist in this particular park. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, I, I still can't get over this. I know a lot of other people are just taking this for granted. But again, as I've, I mentioned pretty much every podcast, I'm still protesting against the Patriot Act and still trying to convince people that we should get rid of the Patriot Act. We, we need to repeal the Patriot Act. I'm still doing that, okay? So I am not going to ever, ever accept this as a new normal. I just will not. I do not consent. I do not consent. Did you hear me? Homeland Security. Should I repeat myself again? Well, if you if you work for Homeland Security, you might need to hear this again because it might be that you're not so quick on things. So here we go. I do not consent. Okay. Anyway, so here is a sign in the park, in a public park, that says, 
you must wear a mask if you come close to another person, a muzzle. I think of these masks as muzzles. It makes it hard to communicate. And that's really what I think they're trying to do is keep us from communicating. I know there's a lot of theories, a lot of opinions people have, but that's my opinion. Okay, again, it's just my opinion. But I think that they, they really are trying to muzzle us. It's very hard to hear what people are saying with that mask over your mouth. So anyway, but yeah, if you come near a person, you're supposed to wear a mask. Okay. Um, if you, you know, but you're not supposed to come near people. You're supposed to keep a six feet distance, even though you're outside in a public park. And the funny thing is that everyone I saw in that park was super friendly, which was amazing to me because in the past, um, I don't know, month or so, I mean, since they've started giving out these injections, I'm noticing people becoming less friendly and I'm not sure if it's the stress of going for a year in social isolation. I don't know if it's oxygen deprivation from wearing the mask over their nose. A friend of mine thinks it's that their brains are being damaged from the injections. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I just, I was really struck by how friendly people were in this park where friendliness is basically against the law, apparently. <laughs> it's, you're not allowed, you're not supposed to be friendly to people in this park. But here's what really got me, okay, that the sign again, it says, no, you must wear a mask, you must socially distance, blah, 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 due to COVID-19. And at the bottom of the sign, it says police enforced, police enforced. Now that's what really got me. Wow. Someone could call the police on you if you're talking to another human being and <laughs> you're not wearing a mask. Wow. That is huge, huge. I'm sorry, I cannot minimize this. And, you know, a lot of people want me to, and there are a lot of people who want me to stop talking about this. And, you know, people who are in agreement with me on these issues, but they, they just don't want to take this seriously. I take this mass surveillance state very seriously. They've got access to pretty powerful technology. We need to resist this. We need to repeal the Patriot Act. That needs to be done, too. And the National Defense Authorization Act and and other laws, you know, we need to undo the damage that was done after 9-11. Once we, we, if we can, if we can stop these horrible vaccine passports from getting passed, we need to get started on undoing the damage that was done after 9-11. I don't know if it's going to happen because like I said, it's been about almost 20 years now. Okay. So, <laughs> and it's, people seem to still not, not want to see that this mass surveillance doesn't keep you safe. It doesn't. Keep yourself safe. Take care of yourself. Stop thinking that the person behind the camera cares about you. The person behind the surveillance camera does not care about you. You're just giving up your power. You're giving them the right to stare at you and watch you and control you and monitor you. And that is not going to keep you safe because the average person is not a psychopath who wants to hurt you. Psychopaths are a minority. Let's not make them a majority. And this is my concern is that we're going to see an increase in the number and the percentage of psychopaths in our society because right now they're a tiny minority but with all this social distancing people being discouraged from interacting with each other i'm concerned we're going to see more coldness more callousness less compassion less empathy and more psychopathic behavior and yeah this really concerns me right now and i think it's a very legitimate concern now one more thing i wanted to add about this police enforced sign that I saw in a park is that in the past there would be signs that would say things like no distribution of drugs or no uh, 
no skateboarding or no, you know, there'd be a, all these other things that you weren't allowed to do in the public park, no spitting, you know, no, you know, no violent behavior. But now it's replaced with social distancing and mask wearing and COVID-19 requirements. And that speaks to a theory that I've had for a long time, which is that the emphasis on crime and violence I think has been a way to get us socially distancing. They want us to think the world is this very dangerous place. There's crime everywhere. People are getting murdered and raped and beaten up and their houses are getting broken into and we need to be frightened constantly. And uh, our, our fellow American is dangerous. In fact, I tried to have a conversation with a neighbor just the other day about the, this, the COVID-19 narrative. And that turned out to be a mistake. That turned out to be a big mistake, my friends, because I live in the hood. You know, I, I don't like where I live right now, but I'm kind of stuck here at the moment. And, you know, the neighborhood I live in, it's not that bad. There's worse. There are worse places. But but there's, there's a certain level of crime and fear of crime. And, you know, when I said to my neighbor, I said, aren't you concerned about the children, the future that they will have, what the world will be like for them. And you know what he said to me? He said, you know what? Those kids living next door to me, they might shoot me tomorrow. He said, one of my family members broke into my house and tried to kill me. You know, he said, I essentially what he was saying to me was it's dog eat dog. We can't trust each other as people. And you know what? I was brought up that way too. I grew up in a city, inner city neighborhood. And I grew up with that belief actually, you know, that you never know what bad thing someone can do to you. And especially when you're a woman, when you're female, when you grow up as a girl, you're taught to be afraid. Someone might rape you. Someone might attack you. Someone might do this, that, the other to you. And you need a man to protect you. You can't take care of yourself. That's what you're told over and over again. Or at least a lot of girls are taught that, okay? Maybe there are some girls who don't have that experience. But most girls, I think, do grow up being taught that you need to be protected. You need a, a man to protect you. You can't take care of yourself. That's how it is in many, many families. And so that fear is used to limit the freedom that women and girls have and to give men more freedom, more privileges in our society, even though it's not, it's not completely true, is it? Because men are victims of crime too, right? I mean, a man can get mugged, a man can get killed, things can happen. It's, the world's just never been a, a safe place for anybody. And safety really is an illusion, doesn't exist. It's sort of an ideal. We'd like to live in a perfectly safe world. But then again, we'd be bored, I think, if, every th if we were constantly safe. To be safe would be like living in a prison, you know, where you're, you're, just, you're locked in a room and someone's watching you at all times. And, you know, somebody with a gun is standing outside the door of, of the, the cell that you're in and watching you and spying on you and making sure that you're, quote unquote, safe. That's not an ideal way to live. I don't think anyone really wants to live that way. But yet it, it is an ideal that a lot of us look for is to feel safe. Just like a lot of us want the world to be a better place than it is. But there's always some sort of problem in the world. And the world's never going to be this perfect place. We strive for perfection, but we never achieve it. It's the same thing with safety. You're never going to be safe, completely safe, 100%. That's just life. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting when I saw that sign at the park that it was all about COVID-19 and it was police enforced. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting that they've switched their narrative? Because I've seen so many signs like that in public places that warned people you cannot 
be dealing drugs. You cannot be using illegal substances. You cannot drink alcohol. You can't, you can't spit in this place, whatever. But now it's just you can't stand near people. You have to wear a mask. So that has caused me to disrespect, gosh, just disrespect all of their orders, you know, because now I'm seeing through all of it as all part of a way of controlling us. Whereas in the past, I think a lot of us were brought up to think that laws existed to create a better world for for all of us, to, to help things run more smoothly, like the stop sign someone brought up to me. What about that stop sign? Doesn't that help us? Okay, well, it could be a good thing if there's a stop sign on an intersection and and people stop and it it helps traffic to run more smoothly. Yes, that can be a good thing. But if somebody just puts a stop sign up randomly at an intersection where it really isn't needed and they just do it on purpose because they want to trap you so they can give you a ticket, that's a different thing. Like the 15 mile an hour speed limits that have been placed all over my city by our crazy mayor who is trying to bring in money for the city by taking it from poor people, basically. People are just trying to drive around the city. And this is also a way of of keeping people under surveillance because they're spying on you when you're driving. They've got these surveillance cameras that they can track where you are in the city at any given day or time. What a wonderful way to control people. What a way to stop protests. I guess we just can't protest anymore. I guess Americans just don't want the right to protest, don't want to have a voice in their government. Is that true? Is that true? I I really think a lot of Americans are just spoiled, like spoiled children, spoiled rotten. You know, like I said before, it's not good to give somebody too much. It's, it's, we all need to struggle a little bit for what we have. And I think we haven't had to struggle for our freedom enough in this country. So, so as a result, we took it for granted and now we're here. And the reality is in a democratic society, we the people have to do some work. We have to get involved. And that means taking the risk of speaking out, which is what I'm doing now. Yeah, this is risky for me. You think there's no risk in my recording these podcasts? You mean the occasional blog I write, the book that I wrote, Diary of a Mad Bag Lady, which you really should read. You should. You should buy it and read it. There's, risk, there's always risk involved in speaking your mind when you are speaking truth to power. Those people have more money. They have more power. They have more connections. They have a much bigger following than I have. So yeah, I take a big risk in speaking out, but this is my civic duty, and it's your civic duty as well. So I urge you, my wonderful listeners, because I love you so much, you're great. So do your part. Do your part, please. And I don't know what your part is. You need to figure what I, what it is, figure out what it is yourself. You know, it might be sending emails to your local politicians. It might be attending your school board meetings or your city council meetings. It might be organizing protests or it might be setting up independent communities and helping others to set up independent communities. There's lots of things. Everyone has a different role to play. And your role is important and everyone's voice is important. We are all needed. And so I thank you for listening to my rant today. And if you do want to leave a comment, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash occupy your mind. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M forward slash occupy your mind, where we ask you to think independently, individually, not controlled by a supercomputer or a microchip or a nanochip or 
Bill Gates or Elon Musk or anybody else. <laughs> we ask you to think for yourself. We ask you to think. And what I like to do is to occupy my mind. In other words, I like to take control of what kinds of thoughts are going on in my own head. What about you? Whoops, looks like we've run out of time. So what do you think? Is wearing a cloth over your nose and running away in fear from other people keeping you safe? Do you want your human body to be genetically modified and become a human GMO? Should other people be forced to have their bodies genetically modified? Were you a huge fan of the Nazis and happy they returned to wreak further havoc on the entire world? Do you think Bill Gates should take the place of God or your higher power? Let us know. Until next time, occupy yourself, occupy your mind. Stay human. Stay independent and stay free. Not the sanitary napkin company. I mean, stay free as in remain free. Oh, never mind. <laughs>